This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Happy Thursday. It is Friday Eve. We are on cruise control to the weekend. This is the Sean Spicer Show. All right. We have a great panel discussion for you today. We're going to cover a lot of ground. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Or if you're on a walk, just zone out the world and we'll take you on a magical voyage for the next little while. Amber Athey Duke is with us from The Spectator. Chad Prather from Blaze TV, he'll be joining us as well. We're going to talk about the speaker's first week. How did he do? What's his report card? Uh, we've got a lot of other stuff. Biden gets a new primary challenge. And is Ron DeSantis? Lying about his height? The mainstream media is a little obsessed. Apparently the internet too is. All right, let's get into it. This is the Sean Spicer Show. It is Thursday, Friday evening, as I like to say. All right, we're going to break down a lot with you right now. Speaker Johnson, how has he done so far? There's a lot of people that were worried about the next speaker. Could he come through? Could he raise the money? What direction was he going to listen to conservatives? Were we going to be better off? Could he move the ball forward? Well, we're going to ask the panel that. I'm going to ask them to give him a, a grade. Let's find out how he's doing. Report card are out today on the Sean Spicer Show. And Mike Johnson, you're going to find out how you're doing. Halfway through your first week. Well, it's actually a little, almost your full week. Plus, um, Dean Phillips, a congressman from Minnesota who made a lot of money in the ice cream slash gelato business, uh, is jumping in the race to primary Joe Biden. Now, he says he loves Joe Biden's policies, so it's not about Joe Biden. It's just that he thinks he's too old and we need a generational shift, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I don't know that how he's going about this is going to make a difference. It's very quick toxic, to say the least. Um, and then, as I mentioned a second ago, there is a lot of obsession uh, by folks on the internet and now with the mainstream media about Ron DeSantis' height. Is he wearing lifts in his cowboy boots to deceive us? We're going to break this down in a very, very methodical way to see what... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That even matters. All right, folks, uh, let's get into this with this amazing panel. Uh, Amber Athey Duke, I'm going to explain that little addition to her name in just a second. She is uh, the editor of The Spectator. She's the host of Unfit to Print and the author of The Snowflakes Revolt. Re Revolt. And Chad Prather, he is the host of The Chad Prather Show at Blaze TV. He's a comedian. He's a musician. He's unbelievably talented. Let's bring them both in. Guys, good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Uh, I want to kick this off. First of all, uh, official congratulations 
Uh, and I'm not sure, is it best wishes? I never get this right, to Amber, who is now Amber Duke. Uh, so congratulations on your nuptials. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been really, yeah. really great. Well, good. Um, all right, so let's start this off. Uh, Speaker Mike Johnson, he's been in, what, at five, six days, something like that. So let's let's grade him. How do you guys think that he has done so far out of the gate? Amber, I'll start with you as the newlywed. I'll give him a B plus. I think that so far, most of his positions have been more in line with what the base of conservatives want to see. The only reason I downgrade him a little bit is because he waffled a little bit on Ukraine funding out of the gate. Well, before he got the speaker's gavel, he said that he was skeptical of the idea of writing a blank check to Ukraine. Then the day after, when he was on Sean Hannity's show, he seemed a little bit more receptive to sending another $10 billion. Now he's at least agreed to split up the funding packages for Israel and Ukraine, which is a great move. I think that absolutely we should be voting on these as line item issues so that every person in Congress can get their name on the record, whether they support one or the other, and they're not jolted into supporting some $50 billion package. I also give him a pretty good grade because he's been a monster at fundraising so far, which a lot of people were worried about. I was going to bring that up. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, Kevin McCarthy is an amazing fundraiser. And Mike Johnson, he, he kept CLF together. He is putting his name on fundraising emails and bringing in record amounts. He had a record week this week for the GOP. So that's a great sign of things to come. If he can keep up that momentum, I think that he'll be in good shape. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that in a second. Chad, where are you on the grade? Yeah, I think I'm going to stay with Amber right there. B plus. plus I don't want to take. Listen, I'm not. If you guys, it, right? if you guys start a university, I'm not taking either one of your classes. <laughs> no, I. I Pray like there, no. Too. We need to see more. No. <laughs> you know it, the reason I would downgrade him. I, you know, here's the thing I like about him. I, I like that he knows who he is. Okay, right. uh, and they're going to keep hammering him anytime they come out after after somebody's character or what their belief system or worldview is. That's always a good sign because at least they know who they are and they're going to stand with convictions. The issue that I have there is that we didn't make our own border the first priority. We started focusing on other countries, and uh, you know I do like the initiative that he's taking. That if we are going to give these billions of dollars to the Ukraine and we or to Ukraine, we're going to have to take it from the IRS. So, so that sort of shot across the bow is something that I appreciated messaging. So I, I want to touch base on two things one of, each one of you said, uh, because I think you're right, Chad, and I'll start with Amber on the money, because here's the thing that was funny. I went back, McCarthy got dinged as well. Paul Ryan was supposed to be this prolific, he was, he, he did a great job raising money. And everyone said, McCarthy, God, is he going to keep up with Ryan? And he did. And then all last week it was, he Johnson's raised a fraction of whatever. And then he comes out of the gate, crushes it over the weekend on the low dollar front. And he's, you know, I mean, say what you will, but people are lining up to hand cash over because they want to keep the majority like the way they're going. But it's funny, these media guys who all sort of crapped all over Johnson that he was never going to do it. Now we're just reporting it. It's sort of like, I always joke about like the weatherman. Like he's like, it's going to rain today. And then the next day it's sunny. And he's just like, sun and clouds. Like there's never a <laughs> sense of like, God, I got it wrong. And all of these Beltway media types literally were like, Johnson's got no team. He's not going to do this. Amber, you brought up the Congressional Leadership Fund, CLF. That's sort of the speaker's de facto super PAC. Uh, that got transferred over to him. And he was like, great, here's my stamp of approval. We're going to keep going. And they're they're going to break in a ton of money. So far, the media hasn't eaten any crow on how wrong they got this. No, in fact, this morning, Axios ran this article with the big scoop in all capital letters about how he had that uh, <laughs> that 
historic fundraising week for the GOP. And I think some of the concern was legitimate because when he got CLF under his wing, I think people were worried that he was going to try to basically clean shop and bring in his own guys, which would have included potentially Axiom Strategies' Jeff Rowe, who is working with Ron DeSantis's campaign. My sources tell me that Trump personally called Mike Johnson to tell him to keep <laughs> CLF together because he does not want Jeff Rowe's fingers anywhere near the congressional pie. And Mike Johnson said, all right, fair enough. And he kept CLF intact and it's already paying off for him. I mean, when you have this kind of a big shakeup, right, with the Freedom Caucus being able to get McCarthy out and put in somebody who they feel better represents their interests, it is important to make sure that that person is still keeping some consistency in terms of political infrastructure. Right. Chad, I mean, I think that just staying on the fundraising, this was a big sign for a lot of folks, myself included, that said, if you guys kick McCarthy out, you better think about the financial impact that's going to have because keeping a majority costs money. Yeah. You know, to stick with your weatherman analogy, there's a reason why I keep this big hat on. It uh, protects me from the thunderstorms that are always on the way. And it's amazing how quickly the weather can change. You know, a week ago, two weeks ago, it looked like the GOP was completely in shambles. And then uh, then we get a speaker of the House and he comes in and I think he solidifies, if not unifies, what just two weeks ago looked like was falling apart. Uh, I think that's a good sign. I think the money is out there. And I think that the fundraising is evidence that people are ready to get behind yes. the GOP that they can support. But right now they're tired of permanent Washington and this so-called uniparty that nobody can get anything done on the conservative side. So I hope that is a sign of things to come because historically the GOP has not done well at having a plan in place whenever things go their way. They didn't have an answer for Obamacare in 2016 exactly. because they thought Hillary was going to get elected. Uh, they didn't have a plan in place when they ousted Mike McCarthy um, or Kevin McCarthy. I'm sorry. And so that's, uh, you know, and that was something that I think that was a telltale sign that's just constantly a problem for the GOP. You know, and, and I, I wanted to hit on that. I remember when I was in the White House and, and we sort of were getting rid of dismantling uh, Obamacare. And I looked at Tom Price, who was then the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and I said, okay, who's, who's with us on this, right? Do we have, you know, what's the coalition? Doctors, nurses, healthcare experts? Like, and he looked at me, he's like, yeah, we got no one. And I'm like, so we're literally dismantling this thing and we have no plan. And that's what I was worried about before. If you're going to do things, great, especially if we move towards a more conservative government, uh, less government, but think about the consequences of the actions you take so that you can actually, you don't have a backlash. And I don't think that, I think we got lucky with Mike Johnson to be completely blunt. I mean, no one can tell me that that was the plan with a straight face. But I think one of the things, Amber, that I want to take, pick up on is what Chad was saying. I, he came out of the gate and he not only bifurcated the Ukraine funding from the, from the Israel funding, but I think in a brilliant move, he said, fine, I'll also offset it with IRS funding. And that was sort of like a massive checkmate. I thought what I loved about it was a new thinking. I'm so tired of the, well, we've always had to do it this way. And the Senate sent us this and we have to do this. This was Mike Johnson saying, there's a new sheriff in town. I get a say. I have a seat at the table and we're doing things in a different way. Exactly. And on this spending fight that's upcoming, uh, you know, November 17th is the deadline. He's already shown some willingness to sort of move away from whatever Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is doing. McConnell kind of wants to ram through a big, massive spending package pretty quickly. And Mike Johnson's saying, um, I'm open to either a continuing resolution uh, with a lot of spending cuts or even potentially a government shutdown 
through January or April so that we can actually get these more line item spending bills passed the way that uh, the Freedom Caucus wanted it done when McCarthy was in power. And I think McCarthy's fatal flaw was that he kept making promises, but lost trust, right? Because he claimed, okay, if we pass this continuing resolution and we fund the government through the end of October, then we can do the smaller spending bills, the line item spending bills. And the conservative members of the caucus said, we don't believe you anymore. We've done this dog and pony show before we've been through this and you never deliver on your promises. Meanwhile, he was seemingly making a deal with the Democrats behind closed doors to have a Ukraine uh, bill brought to the floor after they passed the CR, because of course the Ukraine funding wasn't included in that stopgap measure. And so Mike Johnson, of course, still has to prove that he's going to walk the walk, but so far he's been talking the talk pretty well. Yeah, I think that's the key in that. I want to switch gears. Uh, Earlier in the week, I talked to Morgan Ortegas, who is the former State Department spokeswoman under President Trump. I want to pose this question to you both. Chad Prather, I'll start with you. I I am concerned because of the weakness that's been exhibited uh, by the U.S., not just recently, but going back to the beginning of this administration, starting with the failed Afghanistan withdrawal, that Iran is on the ascent. And so let me just ask you this point blank. Are you worried, concerned that we are basically headed towards a a war that will include Iran with U.S. action, U.S. boots on the ground? Well, just look at the technology they've developed in recent days. I mean, they now have fission technology. They have the ability to build a bomb. They just don't have the the ability to deliver it very far at this point in time. But that's just a matter of time before that comes along. You know, the Afghanistan debacle was a sign to the world that Joe Biden's administration was going to be weak in foreign policy. I think that Joe ran on a foreign policy platform thinking that he could unite the world as well as the American people. And at this point, he's failed to do neither one. So, you know, he got us out of Afghanistan, which was a tragedy and a tragic mistake. But he's gotten us now in on the precipice of war with not only Iran, but Russia and China. Uh, They're now an axis of resistance, which is, you know, the, the phraseology that Iran is now using. So, to look at the uh, tea leaves at this point, all thing points towards chaos, if not full-blown war. Amber? Yeah, I have great concern, um, and maybe not even just Iran, but uh, just a world war in general with what's been going on with Israel and Palestine. It doesn't seem like Joe Biden has many moral convictions, if any. And when he does express those, he's almost not willing to stand by them. And now he's facing all kinds of pressure from the Democratic base, which is very pro-Palestinian and is doing all kinds of horrendous things, both in the United States and abroad in terms of ripping down posters of people who have been held hostage by Hamas. And the Biden administration is willing to pay lip service to that um, while also saying that they support Israel. So it's just a really bizarre case of him not having a clear delineation of where he stands on these. And I, I heard Tucker Carlson say something interesting the other day, which is we keep trying to win these moral victories, but we don't try to protect American interests. And there has to be a realism when we look at the world and say, uh, is getting involved militarily in any conflict uh, fundamental to American security and American interests? And I don't think the Biden administration really views any of foreign policy that way. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So wait, when you say that, do you mean, do you think that if Iran is on the ascent, that we should not get involved, we should not defend Israel, we should not go over there. I'm trying to think, what what is the takeaway that you're trying to get across there? What I'm saying is that we need to have a very clear goal in mind when we go into these conflicts. And Biden just kind of willy-nilly decides, well, we'll drop a bomb here, we'll send troops here. And it doesn't seem like he has any indication of what is the way that we're going to get involved in in a manner that actually protects American interests is the way that we're getting involved protecting American national security, or are we turning ourselves into the world policemen in a sense that we're actually going to enrage these interests that are anti-American? So for example, in the Ukraine-Russia war, right? Biden got involved. He uh, he basically decided to reject peace talks between Ukraine and Russia, even when it was clear that Ukraine couldn't win this war. And now we're sitting here in an essentially a stalemate, but we continue to send tens of billions of dollars in aid packages with no clear idea of how this war is going to end and how much bloodshed is going to happen and how much it's harming the American taxpayer by sending all of this money over there. So it just seems like they get involved in these conflicts without any idea of how they're going to end. Right. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, this is my point that I've made on Ukraine specifically. I don't mean to, to mix message here. But I, I feel like we, we, we kind of have one foot in. In Ukraine, there was no sense of how this thing was going to end, what our strategy, what success looked like. And we weren't giving them the tools to win. It was sort of like, we're going to give you enough to say that we're helping you, but not enough to win. And therefore, it's going to drag out, cost us more, cost more lives. I didn't see this. But let me get back to the question that I want to, like, if Iran gets involved, starts coming into Israel, is the U.S., should the U.S., send troops to defend Israel? Amber, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I'm kind of torn on that question. Um, I I obviously want to keep Iran out of the conflict, if at all possible. I think at this point, Hamas and Iran are basically sort of strange bedfellows. I don't know that Iran is uh, likes Hamas. I don't know that Iran wants to work with Hamas, but they see them as a sort of convenient ally right now. And so being able to split up that allyship, I think, is the key to making sure that American security is protected and that Iran doesn't gain more power through this conflict. But I am pretty, I I wouldn't say isolationist, but I am wary of putting boots on the ground and getting involved in a conflict that could very quickly escalate into something like World War III. Chad? You know, what, knowing what I know now, my answer is no, we don't need to. Uh, I think we've got our own invasion that's going on right here in our country. Since uh, in the last 20 years, we've got uh, over 400,000 Iranians and Iraqis right here in our own country because of the weakness of our southern border, as well as granting uh, student visas and amnesty to those who have come to our colleges and universities. They're here. We know that radicals live among us. So if we're continually sending our troops, our men and women, sons and daughters to fight other people's wars, Who's going to take care of America? We're in a very weak state. Listen, if any, if anything, we want to tell the future, what we have to do is look at the past. And we know that the Biden administration has been very soft when it comes to diplomacy, when it comes to Iran. They haven't shown anything in terms of being the tough guy of standing up to them. You know, Iran's still exporting two million barrels of oil a day at $85 a barrel. That's They're making quite a big penny, and we haven't stopped them at all in that to uh, to interrupt any of their funding, so I don't I don't see where even putting our boots on the ground is going to make a difference if we don't have any better warfare diplomacy when it comes to this administration. 
That's a good yeah, point. If I could is, jump I, off of that really quick, yeah. because the Biden administration, of course, freed up billions of dollars for Iran through the the hostage prisoner exchange. Yeah. And they didn't seem to recognize that money is fungible. They kept claiming, well, it's only allowed to be used for humanitarian purposes, as if right. as yeah. if they weren't going to now free up money in the rest of Iran's budget that they could use for terror. I mean, the whole concept of it was ridiculous. It's like sending money to a prison and being like, it can only be used for right. books. Or, or how the GOP <laughs> um, justifies fund- funding Planned Parenthood because the money can't be right. used for abortion. Right. Um, let me, I, 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 I think the thing that's interesting to me, uh, and this is, I think, what Chad's touching on, but I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like we, we have a southern border that's allowing people flow in. We're worried about what's going on in the world. I don't feel like most people, especially down where Chad lives, feel like we're paying enough attention to what's happening in our own country and protecting it and protecting our people. And yet we're worried about everyone else. And I, I'm not saying that it's a either or choice, but if I lived down in Texas or Arizona or Southern California, I would go, what are we doing? Like, where's your concern for what's going on in, in, our, in, in this part of the country um, as opposed to everywhere else in the world? Um, I do want to bring this home a little though, because Chad, I'll start with you. Like, I am. I continue to be, and I don't know why, but shocked by the out, the sort of the support for Hamas and the Palestinian angle of this, um, and the the sort of the way that they're that some of these people who are ripping down posters of people who are held hostage. Like, I mean, I'm like, it's not even taking one side. It's they're so viscerally against Israel. Um, where do you think that line is? Um, I mean, I saw Vivek Ramaswamy out there saying, hey, this is free speech. Where's the line between free speech and what the left normally calls uh, hate speech? Yeah, I, I think, and I say this tongue in cheek, but I think you'll get the element of the point is uh, I think people owe Kanye West an apology at this point. I mean, wasn't he, wasn't it so, <laughs> wasn't he radical for being so anti-Semitic just a matter of months ago? And now it's in vogue to be anti-Semitic and they're doing it all over our college campuses and in our city streets. What concerns me, Sean, even on a bigger level is the, is the communication from the White House. Okay. Um, you ask Karine Jean-Pierre uh, why this White House is hesitant <laughs> to refer to these people as extremists. Now, they have no problem calling uh, PTA moms that go to their school board meetings and protest against pornography in their school libraries. They call them domestic terrorists. Uh, people that support Donald Trump are considered extreme MAGA Republicans, which is a consistent rhetoric that comes out of Joe Biden's mouth. But yet they won't say that people are marching under the Palestinian flags and even Taliban flags are extremists. So that concerns me. So how do you turn that tide? I think we have to hold stop, just full stop, have to come out and say this is wrong. This is who we stand with as a country. Those who are opposed to that. I mean, yes, you have the right to go out in the street and say whatever you want to say. But just because you have the right doesn't make it right. And right. so. Uh, this this or, is one of those or, things. Or just also, just to be clear, to your point, to further this, or that there's not consequences. You can go out and right. say that, but that doesn't mean that you don't have that. There's not going to be consequences for what you say. Yeah, I, I mean, you're you're in essence screaming fire in a crowded theater, right? Because we see the the aftermath and the consequences that are coming with violence that are being committed towards people. Now, most of these have been onesie twosie events where where the assault has been on a person, but we're starting to see that escalate. And I'm afraid to see. Uh, we saw what happened in the Russian airport the other day. I'm afraid we're about to start seeing that here on our own soil. Amber, where is that line between free speech and uh, and as Chad said? yelling fire in a crowded theater. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a little bit subjective and that's kind of the whole reason why conservatives for so long have been free speech absolutists. But 
there is a line that I think is obvious to anyone with some kind of human moral compass. And to look at the left now complaining about so-called cancel culture, when you look back at what they did to conservatives, right, they got people fired for making jokes. They got people fired for expressing mainstream political opinions. Right. They got people fired for being religious. And so for them to turn around and, and, and act like it's the same thing for someone who is justifying terror to maybe not mm-hmm. get hired at a big Wall Street firm is just functionally ridiculous. And again, the idea that the Biden administration pays lip service to these people is despicable. Karine Jean-Pierre also, in response to a question about condemning anti-Semitism, replied by saying that Arabs are the ones, Muslims are the ones who are facing yeah. hate crimes right now. And then she had to do a cleanup job the next day. Can I just, I'm sorry, listen, I, I, I when, when you say that, I, it, it gives me PTSD. There are so many <laughs> times when I said something at the podium and it was like, you know what he means? She says that and, and there is no nightly news. There is no. no, like it is, I was literally watching that going, Oh my God, I don't mean to make this, but if that was me, I would have been getting killed. I would have had to have been like taking- Yeah, it was a huge scandal. And then then she had misheard the question, which was obviously a lie. I mean, it makes no sense. She compounded that with a lie. Right. And that's why when I say, you know, I'm wary of putting boots on the ground. I'm wary of US involvement here. I don't want us to get too involved. We have too many domestic issues we have to deal with. But- that doesn't mean that you can't outright say and be clear and, and convicted about the fact that you stand with Israel. I mean, it's right. just crazy, their level of cognitive dissonance here. But if you just take out Israel for a second, take out the, the name of the country and just say, I'm against innocent civilians, women, mm-hmm. babies being killed, murdered, tortured, having barbaric, savage behavior used towards them. I, that's the thing that's so interesting to me. This, I, I don't necessarily, at its core, this is a human thing. This isn't even an Israel thing. It's not a Jewish thing. It's a literally a human thing yes. saying, I'm against this killing of innocent civilians. This idea that you could, you could literally be pro-Palestinian and still against the killing and slaughter of innocent people. Chad, the thing that's so interesting to me is that conservatives, um, and Alan Dershowitz was on the show the other day, who's not a conservative, but he was saying, I want the names named of these kids in, in Harvard. I want them to have to know, to own it. And, and the, there's this debate, I think, to some degree in, on the right, which is, we have been against cancel culture. Is this cancel culture or is this a line too far? Because they're actually supporting basically barbarianism, terrorism, the innocent slaughter of, of human beings. Well, if you're talking about college campuses, as, as we are, uh, you know, you're talking about, by and large, a, a, major, a majority demographic that was not alive for 9-11. Uh, or if they were, they were they were babies. They have no remembrance of that. Uh, these are people, Hamas, who went into Israel on October 7th, and they not, they not only murdered, but they, they raped for sport. Uh, we have an idea of of. Islam of, of Muslims from an American first world perspective that comes from our own comfort and security that we've been allotted here in the United States. Most people haven't traveled the world and seen what's really out there and seen the horrors not only of war, but extremism that takes into account very little thought when it comes to human life. It's not valued. So, so yes, you know, a, a few weeks ago I said, you know, maybe these are kids who are making a mistake. They don't know what they're saying. You know, everybody in college knows it all and they have an opinion that kind of is counterculture. But this is beyond that at this point. This is, this is defending 
a, a group of people who are less than animals. I mean, these are barbarians, quite literally. Right. And, and we've got to put a stop to this one way or another. If you want to call it cancel culture, call it that. But these people have to pay a consequence. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From what they're saying. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to move on for a second. Um, apparently, the vice president is either on her way or landed in England. There's this big AI summit, and President Biden has now tapped the vice president with another task which is to lead the U.S. government's response to AI. Now, I tweeted this out earlier. If you are one of these people that doesn't want government involved in, in regulating AI, well, don't worry because Kamala Harris is now involved, <laughs> so nothing will get done. Um, but I am concerned about these two folks in particular jumping in the middle of a subject that I'm not really convinced either one of them has a sense of what to do or how to do it. Um, I, I am concerned about AI. I'm more particularly concerned as a conservative, as I've always said, garbage in, garbage out. If a bunch of liberals are programming uh, these computers about what's right, what's wrong, what sources to use, they're going to program all of the left-wing uh, kind of inputs. They're not going to use the blaze, the spectator, the first daily caller. They're going to say, okay, that's hate speech. Um, I am concerned that Kamala Harris is leading this. Amber, as she goes forward, in all seriousness, w w I mean, is this something that we should worry about in terms of how the U.S. government tries to regulate the future of AI? I'm extremely concerned about it. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that a judge ruled that the Biden administration had violated the First Amendment by its involvement in trying to crack down yeah. on so-called misinformation in big tech. And one of the fundamental problems with big tech censorship of conservatives was not just the human element, but the algorithms that were coded by humans that then would censor uh, conservatives without any involvement from people who were hired to actually do content moderation. We could see the same problem happening with AI. And then in, in addition to the speech element of it, there's also the problem that we've been seeing with strikes around the country. I know we don't have much sympathy for Hollywood types, but there's a possibility that AI could take jobs from truck drivers or individuals who are working class. And so there has to be a discussion too about how this affects labor. And no, I don't trust Kamala uh, to deal with anything, let alone one of the bis big, big, biggest technological advances in human history in the past 10, 20 years. It's been growing rapidly and we don't seem to have an answer for it. We don't seem to have an idea of how it should be integrated into society. I mean, if the closest thing that Kamala has to dealing with AI in terms of a knowledge set is that she kind of speaks like AI when she talks about yellow school buses <laughs> and time and other <laughs> material concepts. But that's about as far as I would uh, give her my trust. Chad, what do you, where do you go down on this? That's hard to top that one, Amber. You're Thank so you. right. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, Kamala and Joe Biden's foreign policy is don't. I mean, that's very prolific, right? So profound. Um, so I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in her ability to be a czar of anything. She's proven that with the border and everything else that she's put in charge with. 
Um, you know, the other day she gave a speech where she talked about the racial equity of AI, because I mean, that's everybody's concern. I mean, come on, yeah. James Cameron made a whole series of movies called the Terminator series that told us what was going to happen when this thing had become self-aware, right? Uh, these things, you know, this AI, it can be taught, it can be programmed. And to your point, Sean, uh, what's happening is not good. It's just a matter of time before this whole thing turns in it, inward on us and destroys all of us. And I don't mean in a Terminator fashion. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's not coming in robot form. What? Des destroy. I mean, I know one can hope, but time travel hasn't been invented yet. Maybe they put Kamala Harris in charge of that. We'll get somewhere. Mm -hmm. But but at this stage in the game, we're talking about destroying lives, destroying reputations, destroying careers right. over fake information, false information, video, voice imitation. Uh, and it's amazing to me that we as human beings throughout, you know, the millennia of our existence have this weird propensity towards destroying ourselves. And I see this as a big, massive weapon that eventually is going to turn itself against all of us. And, and we're not going to be there to stop it. You know, at what point in time is the headline going to say Sean Spicer is accused of this? We've got video. Well, no, of him it, doing already these things. it already does. It already does. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, and then they'll, and then, because again, you can't, you, you're going to trust what your eyes see, right? right? And they know that from the deep fakes to the, to the AI video, to the voice uh, duplication, all of these things. It's, we're in, we're in serious trouble and especially, I don't know. At this stage, I think maybe they're just looking for things for Kamala to do or at least say she's doing just to get her out of their hair. I don't right. know. Well, they, they figured it, what this was one that this, you know, all these other ones kept around the White House. This one, there's a conference in England. So they were like, <laughs> OK, if you lead this, you actually have to leave the country. Uh, maybe that was it. Staying with with Biden and Harris, though, uh, Dean Phillips, this congressman from Minnesota, who's made a ton of money on, on with ice cream, um, is challenging Joe Biden. And the thing that I think is so interesting about this is, by all accounts, the guy's a smart guy, smart businessman, um, and he's gonna he's gone all in in New Hampshire. Now, just to set the stage for everyone to understand this, um, New Hampshire is the DNC changed the calendar so South Carolina would go first because a that's mm -hmm. where Biden is going to do better. They didn't want to embarrass him in Iowa and New Hampshire, so they moved those out of first and second position. Okay, they're letting South Carolina go first because they say it's more representative. It's got more of, of, of a black voting population, which is good for Democrats. Okay, that being said, so everyone understands this, New Hampshire has a state law that says we don't really care. We're going first. Well, if you violate either party's nom, you know, rules, each of them have their own rules, but in the DNC, they strip you of your delegates. So there'll still be a primary in New Hampshire. They still will be in January. They'll go after Iowa. There will be a race. But if you win New Hampshire, you don't get any delegates. Dean Phillips is going all in New Hampshire because he wants a moral victory. Joe Biden apparently isn't even going to appear on the ballot on this. Amber, I mean, I, I feel like I get it. Like, But if you're serious about challenging him, you're a congressman from Minnesota. You don't, I mean, he's got some personal wealth, but not real money in terms of what it would take to, to beat this guy. And he's going and kicking off his campaign in New Hampshire, where even if he wins, which he probably will, because Biden's not on the ballot, he doesn't actually get any delegates. Then you're going to head to South Carolina, where you're going to get blown out because Biden has rigged the system. Yeah, I think this is sort of a vanity project and a way to make a ton of money off of unassuming donors, because... I could see maybe the argument for, well, if I win in New Hampshire, maybe that will give me some momentum. But at that point, you're immediate, as you said, immediately followed by South Carolina, right. 
where all of that momentum is immediately going to be killed. So I don't understand the point of this, but I think we could see how unserious this challenge was just by the announcement, because the first thing that Dean Phillips said was that he thought that the Biden administration had been doing a good job, but the problem was not with their policies. It was with the fact that they basically have a low approval rating and Democratic voters say that they want somebody else to win the primary. So if you're going to lead with the fact that you support Joe Biden as you're running against him, and then go on a cable news interview, by the way, and say to Kristen Welker that you're not actually running against Joe Biden and then get fact checked in real time because that is quite literally what you are doing. This, <laughs> you just can't take this guy seriously. Chad, I mean, that's the thing is that like it's it's I mean, as much as I, I was excited that Kennedy was challenging him because he had a name. He was getting 14, 15 percent. I think he would have embarrassed him. Um this is not to me, like to Amber's point, his thing is, hey, I love everything Biden's doing. He's just 80. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the New Hampshire thing is going to wind up being a nothing burger. I agree with both of your assessments on that, that you're going to go to South Carolina, you're going to get routed. I think what we may see uh, with the New Hampshire primary, and I hope we'll see if the media is truly turning on Joe Biden as somewhat of the trend has shown us to be in the last two months. Uh if they can make a, if they choose to make a story out of this, it'll be interesting to me uh, to see if they are showing any form of weakness on the Biden uh, campaign. So let's see what happens here. Uh, but I agree with you, Amber. I don't I don't think this guy's serious. I don't think anything that he's saying is is really holding any water in regards to this. Uh, but it, wouldn't it be something if staying off the ballot in New Hampshire actually backfired? Because let's face it, this was a this was a political ploy on the part of the Biden administration to do this. And, um, you know, he's pandering, quite honestly. So we'll see what happens. I want to bring things home um, on the Republican side for a minute. I was a little and again, I hate to say the word shocked because I'm not, but I am. Um, when I opened up Playbook, I don't know, is it three days ago now, the Politico morning tip sheet that they have. With everything that's happening, okay, uh, new speaker, this AI trip, uh, Israel, I mean, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what the lead story was? <laughs> I don't read Playbook Chad, anymore. Actually, Chad might, because this, this has got a little Texas to it. Chad, Chad do you know what it was? I, I don't know. I was going right. to go with another story, but unless I want to hear is. it. It's DeSantis. Is DeSantis, in, or is he cheating his height in, <laughs> by putting lifts with in the, his boots? With the boots, with the way with he's wearing boots. his boots. And, yeah. and they literally called in uh, Politico, a top boot maker, this guy, Zephon <laughs> Parker, the bespoke boot maker behind Houston's popular Parker boot company, which he says has made height increasing cowboy boots for a number of Texas politicians. Although he won't reveal any names. I've helped them with their lifts. DeSantis is wearing lifts. There's no doubt. That was the lead story in political playbook. DeSantis claims that he's 5'11". He went on the Patrick Bet David podcast says he wears tennis shoes when he works out. Well, thank goodness. Uh, PBD bought him a pair of Ferragamos and he refused to put them on. I, I mean, look, as a guy who's 5'6", do I every once in a while look at the, the heel and say, eh, you know, maybe I'll go with that pair, not that pair, because uh, I could be 5'7". I don't put it, I put it against him, but I, I don't, this to me is sort of, um, you, you know, height is a factor. Um, but I don't, it's not like he's lying. He's running, putting down on his sheet that he's 6'2", and he's, I mean, he's saying he's 5'11", he wears cowboy boots. I don't really care. Chad, <laughs> is this much to do about nothing? 
Uh, well, it, I think it reveals two things. One, one it's um, you know, uh, this is not a this is not a college football roster, right? Uh, this is this is an ideological, philosophical, political. You know, let's let's hear the ideas. Let's hear what you're running on. But it tells me that I think uh, they're still scared of Ron DeSantis. Yes. Uh, it doesn't matter what the polls say. You know, I said months ago that you're going to start hearing a change in the rhetoric if DeSantis gives Trump a run. They're going to add two words to everything they say about Ron DeSantis. Uh, he's worse. They're going to say there's Trump is this way, but Ron DeSantis, he's worse. And so the fact that they're still going after him, even in such a novel way, tells me they're still they're still worried about him. But I, Amber, the thing is, I, I don't understand. I mean, he's not lying, right? I mean, this is not like he's out there saying um, it's sort of like if he were wearing slimming clothes and saying he's trying to hide the <laughs> fact that he's overweight. It's like wearing cowboy boots to me. Uh, especially, I mean, half the folks down in Texas, just that's like what they're born with. I don't <laughs> understand why it's a big deal. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, I get it's cute and it's a style section thing, but uh, but to me, is this really something that, that should be leading the, the D.C. media? No, it shouldn't be leading the media. But what I will say is I did watch the video of him walking across <laughs> the stage in profile in his cowboy boots. Yeah. And to be totally honest with you, I have never seen a man walk in cowboy boots like that in my entire life. And so I kind of thought, for what a does second, that mean? Wait, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, like so, off? Well, so normally you would lead with your heel, right? Or it, at the very least, I don't be flat footed. And he's walking almost on his tiptoes. It's a really awkward sort of shuffle. And someone described it as how women walk in high heels. And I, it just clicked for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, maybe he is actually wearing lifts. And it's not a thing that I care about. But if he is saying that he's not wearing lifts and he is, then I don't know. It shows that the height thing maybe bothers him. And I think the number one thing that men learn when they get to uh, like past uh, puberty is that things only matter to other people if it shows, if you show them that it bothers you. And I think DeSantis has kind of let it get to him a little bit. And so now okay. it's become a bigger issue than it should be. All right. I, I, I'm now internalizing this, just so you know. I am, <laughs> I am now, I am, I am going to, I'm going to get rid of, I'm going to go back to my like foot flops or something. Uh, all right. I, I, I have something to think about tonight. Amber, Athey, Chad Prather. Um, thank you guys. This has been a fun, that's a great way to end today's panel. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. I appreciate you being with us. Um, Tomorrow, by the way, Dinesh D'Souza is going to join us to break down uh, his brand new movie, Police State. I got a little treat for you on that. Uh, Amber Athey Duke, yes. congratulations once again on, on your wedding. It's so exciting to have you. Chad Prather, thank you for joining us. Tune in to Chad on The Blaze to catch up with everything that he's got to say uh, and catch Amber over at The Spectator. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Continue to subscribe to the show. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Go over to Spotify. Do that is there. I don't really care. Go to all of them and hit that notification button on YouTube so you never miss an episode. We'll see you tomorrow on the Sean Spicer Show. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.